Welcome to Emron's podcast, episode number 122. This is your host, Suman Silwal. In this podcast, I talk to Gene Dykes. He's from Philadelphia area, who's running sub three marathon in his age of 71. He has also unofficially broken the world record for his age group. He has a great story to tell, great podcast to listen. Hopefully you'll enjoy the podcast. Before we get to podcast, if you are still looking for fall marathon, don't forget to sign up for Seven Bridges Marathon at Chattanooga. Use MRUNS 15%. Discount code MRUNS, just like the podcast name, MRUNS, and register while the price is still low. I'm headed to London to pace the London Marathon uh, this weekend. I'll be pacing 5.30 pace group. Thanks for listening to MRUNS podcast and being the part of this MRUN podcast community, MRUNS and Marathon Runs community. Great to have you guys out there. Please do like Emron's Facebook page, follow the Instagram, Twitter, wherever Emron's is, also YouTube channel. Thanks for being out there. I'd like to welcome Gene Dykes to Emron's podcast. Gene, how are you doing today? Oh, pretty good. I got in my morning run, so I'm a happy camper. <laughs> Gene, you're, you're from Philadelphia, uh, right around that area. How's the weather this spring? Is Oh, no, it just, it was like uh, like a wall. On one side was winter and the other side was spring. It just went from one to the other uh, just like that. It's been uh, nice spring weather for a couple of weeks now. Yeah, the south here, we're, we're here in the south, it's still a little cold, uh, but uh, but has been a, has been an interesting uh, spring. You know, it's a little too cold. Sometimes it gets hot, you know, just, just living in the south a little different than uh, up north for us, for, for runners, definitely. Of course, cold for you is probably what seventy degrees, <laughs> <laughs> 40, 50 degrees. <laughs> yeah, it's all perspective, isn't it? Yeah, seventy degrees is nice, crisp uh, spring, and then you know once you get to 80, 85, it gets hot for us as well. But but definitely, uh, so Zine, um, I've been trying to bring you to Emron's podcast. Uh, last time when I talked to Vardia, so he mentioned about you. I said I need to talk to you, and and uh, finally I saw your post i think some of the runners world some of the some of the website and, and i saw a lot of uh, videos and things about you i read about you different uh, blog posts just wanted to get in touch and uh thanks for coming to emerald's podcast really appreciate it for your time um before we dive into uh talking about the main topic uh just tell us about your running running journey well to start uh it's been said that i've been running for six decades but that doesn't really really tell the story. I started running, oh, a little bit before high school. I don't know. I just said, hey, I'm going to go out for a run. And uh, I made it about a mile <laughs> before I had to start walking. And I really berated myself. So I promised myself that I would never walk again during a run. And uh, and I held true to that uh, until I discovered trail running. And uh, there are a lot of good reasons to walk, uh, walk there. But uh, it was a natural to run for the track team in high school and i thought i was really good uh, it was the first year they allowed the two mile race in ohio and uh, you know back then you know two miles was long distance so uh, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, i was good at that and then i went to college and i really got my comeuppance uh it was just it was just terrible everybody beat me teammates uh, opponents it was you know they're just running circles around me and uh, so i uh, picked up alternate events to uh, get points for the team uh, i got to be pretty good at the triple jump and picked up some points uh doing intermediate hurdles uh, anything any event nobody else would do and uh, 
But uh, yeah, one, two mile runs, no, I, I was terrible. So that was a very important uh, uh, event in my life because I was so convinced that I was a terrible runner. That didn't sound like something I should really throw my energy into as, as an adult. I ended up being a very good golfer and bowler. I spent a lot of time on that, but just ran for fun. So that, that's important. I basically spent my whole adult life, you know, staying in shape, but just running for fun. Uh, they say you only have, you know, 15 good years, no matter when you start running. So I was able to postpone my 15 good years until uh, until later on. Uh, it was about when I was age 56 or so that uh, uh, I fell in with a bad crowd and uh, they talked about running and racing. <laughs> <laughs> Those crowd, definitely. So I said, well, I'll, I'll give it a try again. I was terrible in college, but uh, so I ran a few races and I had a blast and I wasn't too bad at it. So, so uh, you were talking about 15, uh, when, you, when you turned 57, that's when you kind of really taken this yeah i ran my first race when i was 56 and my first marathon when i was 57 wow so so, so tell us about your first race well my first race was a seven mile trail race and uh, i talked my daughter into doing it and uh, so we both went out to this and my daughter she was on the cross-country team in high school or something and she looked at all these runners and their fancy duds you know she's oh dad i'm gonna finish last <laughs> i said don't worry you know most of those people you know they, they they're really terrible and so uh yeah so we both ran she beat me and uh that was one of three times she's beaten me over the years and but it was it was such a hoot you know you ran for about 100 couple hundred yards on roads and then immediately we started going up this hill with with broken down trees and branches and rocks and we were you know leaping over all this stuff i it was just a total hoot um so that kicked off my uh my love of trail running uh, a few weeks later i did my first road race and that was a half marathon again you know i i did fairly well because i'd been sort of like training for a couple of years before i did these uh, races and and lo and behold at the end of the race my uh, friend said your time is good enough that you don't have to go through the lottery at New York City. You know, we're doing the marathon. You have to join us there. So, all right. So I had to do that. And at New York City, I qualified for Boston. So I had to do that. And uh, so all that uh, kind of pushed so, me into uh, uh, my dual career of trail running and road running. Those first two races kind of started me <laughs> off. Interesting enough that your first two uh, road uh, distance races with New York and Boston. That's a that's a great story on, on its own. So, well, the, after the first trail race, either consciously or unconsciously, I've tried to go further and further each year. I, each year, I try and do something, you know, a little a little longer than the year before. And and road racing, I try and go a little faster than the year before. And well, it's been, I'm going into my 13th year now, and uh, I've kept that up. And let me tell you, when you try and do something a little harder 13 years in a row, you can't believe how hard it is to dream up something that's harder than you did the year before. It's uh, uh, yeah, That's a challenge. Sounds like an interesting journey that you have and had um, so far, uh, running, running career. Um, uh, so you've been active all your life, but true passion of running came late for you. Is that correct? Yeah, racing came late. Running's been there all the time. Yeah. So what is the difference there versus you find, uh, you know, I see people, uh, I come across people once in a while, they say, oh, I just run for running. And people like us, we run for racing now. So, <laughs> or, you know, we have to have an event plan. 
So, so was it a difficult for you to always be active and running versus, you know, training from race to race? Well, I've always been competitive and I was able to use, uh, you know, golf and bowling as an outlet before, but, mm. oh, I gave up bowling because it was, I don't know, had a hard time finding people I enjoyed bowling with and, and, uh, golf, I've still golfed, but, uh, my, my competitive days are, are way behind. So, uh, running, uh, kind of showed up at just the right time. It enabled me to do something competitively, uh, that, uh, I was missing from the, uh, the other sports. So it sounds like uh, one other thing, listening to you, sounds like, uh, you know, we always talk about this as a runner, and I've heard many, uh, many outlets and people talk about it, it's never too late to start running. So so is that uh, is that what, you, what you're thinking, or racing in, in your sense? So. Some people think it's, it seems to be a, a common impression that you just can't really run that well when you get older, but uh, it goes along with that, what I said earlier, that if you've only got 15 good years of running, if you don't start until you're older, well, you've got 15 good years. And <laughs> and and I'm having a total blast. It's hard to imagine I could have more fun than uh, than I am now. I can't say perhaps it's certain because, well, I've been running my whole life, so it's not as if I was a neophyte. It's just that I didn't start racing until later on. So. Gotcha. But uh, you just have to go into it a little more gradually if you haven't run your whole life. Yeah, definitely. Uh, one other thing I, I heard, uh, some of the runners who've been racing for such a long time, they said, you know, by the time we get to 57, like you said, our knees are all out because <laughs> we've been racing all these years. Mm. Opposite to you, uh, you haven't been racing. You've just been active. Well, I have a bit of advice there. Not many people will take it, <laughs> I'm afraid. But I think it's possible to do a complete reset. And if they just kind of like give up running or at least, you know, hard running for five to 10 years, you can come back and uh, and be strong again. You're sort of letting your whole body heal. I think there's something to the fact that you can't run hard your whole life. And I think maybe perhaps little appreciated is that maybe you can get it back if, if you just let it go for a while. That's a, that's a great advice and interesting point in my life. Uh, uh, as I look at it, um, I haven't been qualified for Boston. I haven't been actually running really hard. I've been running a lot of races, but I just don't run hard any longer. I had a one good hard race for almost a year and a half, and uh, I kind of at that point crossroad. Uh, I mean, I do pace, I do trail race, I do hundred miler, but none of them are really hard races or hard running. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of them are, you know, <laughs> pacing. I, I'm about to pace London. Five and a half hours. That's a uh, pretty, pretty slow um, for me. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, but uh, like almost what you said, you know, just kind of that. I'm not running hard. Um, I wanted to come back, but just haven't found a way to get back on it. So well, it's interesting that there's a uh, a huge difference between running a marathon hard and a marathon easy. But once you get to longer distances than that, the the difference shrinks. In fact, you get to a hundred miles, and there is actually almost zero difference between racing it and just jogging it i mean you just you run and if you finish you know it's a success and you really can't uh, run any harder than that so uh, and 200 miles too uh, and, yeah 200 miles is a thing i've done lots of them and uh, oh really oh it's uh, it's a real adventure but you know you can only go as as fast as you can go there's just no way uh i could run you know even a, a minute faster than than I do when I'm just trying to go out and have fun. I mean, it's just uh, 
you reach a steady state pace and that's the best you can do and and hang on to that i've never done gone beyond 100 so and i don't think my family will ever allow me to go beyond 100 even <laughs> with all the troubles <laughs> i had last few few hundreds but but so for the for 200 do you keep the steady pace, uh, walk, walk pace, a jog, or how how does that all work? Well, in a hundred, you you know, you're trying to do it all in a day, so you you had to keep up a pretty good pace. Yeah, you might have to run walk a little bit, but when you get to a two hundred, they give you four times the time, so you have four days to finish a two hundred, mm. and and it's easier than a hundred. I mean. You, you run when you can, and you walk when you can't, and you, you nap when you have to, but you just keep on going. And at the end of every 200, I felt like I could run for another week, but not without getting a whole lot more sleep than I get. You know, sleep deprivation is a terrible thing, but it's it's something that comes with the territory when you do a 200. Definitely. Yeah, I didn't want to turn uh, this to ultra-distance running a lot of <laughs> my marathon. Oh, yeah, right, that's right. This is a marathon. <laughs> Sorry about that. Yeah, I, I mean, I do both. So so I get in the drift of doing a ultra-distance and, you know, talk about it because it gets so interesting. Um, so it's, uh, Sometimes I think I should carry a warning sign. <laughs> Danger, he will try and talk you into doing ultras. Yeah. <laughs> so so do you think you're, uh, before we get into your marathon, speedy marathon running, do you think you're uh, all this, uh, what do you call the speed that you, that you have built, uh, running this distance, endurance you have, ultra endurance you have, does that help you or because a lot of time I find running a hundred mile, I mean I have to slow down. I just I just talked about that because if I do distance races, correct? I'll, being ultra distance races, I have to go slow, just like what we just talked about. So does that hurt you or help you in this sense? Well, I hired my coach, uh, you know, five years ago to improve my marathon times, and I'm quite certain that when I started signing up for these hundred mile races, <laughs> he was banging his head against the wall and saying, "No, no." Focus, focus. But I think we both come around to the notion that, uh, you know, if you do ultras in one part of the year and marathons in another, that mm. uh, the ultras give you a huge base that you can leverage into the speed that you need for a marathon. I mean, there must be something to it. I mean, nobody else does what I do. I mean, you're running hundreds and two hundreds and then uh, running world class marathon time. So I think, uh, yeah. It, it can't be coincidence. I think uh, more people should go out and say, hey, I'm going to spend three months running ultras and then uh, and then go back to marathon training. And uh, I think they'd find out that they end up doing better in both that way. Mm, that's an interesting concept. Just take a take a six months uh, of uh, ultra distance, six months of marathon running training, you know, mm. you know, divide your time. You know, I have never thought that way. Well, this season for me, it's three, 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 three. I, I did, uh, you know, a couple months of ultras, and then I've got some spring marathons. Then I'm going to go back and do a whole pile of ultras in the summer, and and then do marathons in the fall. Hmm. And then that's... Uh, see, a lot of these 16-week marathon training programs are predicated on the fact that you need to build up your endurance as well as the speed. But I already have the endurance, so I can. Uh, for instance, this last Boston Marathon, which I did real well in, uh, I only had six weeks to train for that, but I only had to get my speed back. I didn't have to do anything to get my endurance, endurance up. Got it. So let's uh, let's dive into your 
uh, speed, uh, speed uh, racing uh, things that you've been doing. Um, I don't know how long you have you've been doing sub sub three marathon. Um, before we go on, uh, uh, let's talk about your age. How old are you now? Seventy one. Seventy one. Uh, but I'm I'm a young seventy one. It was young 71. my birthday was a couple of weeks ago. So you just turned seventy one. So to talk about that, I, I have not met many seventy one year old. Uh, uh, runners who who's running sub three. I mean, uh, yeah, I I have not. I've gone to the closest I've been is three twenty. So tell us well, about when 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 was your first sub three? Last year when I turned seventy, about mm-hmm. uh, five days after I turned seventy, I ran my first sub three. Well, where was it? That was at Rotterdam. Okay. Um, about three years before that, I had had my coach for a couple of years, and I was watching the trajectory of my my marathon times, I said, you know, I said, if I can just improve for three more years, I would have a chance at, and there was only one record I thought I had a chance at, and that was the single age 70 marathon record by Ed Whitlock. Uh, Ed Whitlock is the only other guy over the age 70 who had, uh, has run a sub three hour marathon until this year. There's a, there's another guy out in California did. So I found this website where they listed all the marathons by single age. And Ed Whitlock, although he was famous for his 254 at age 73, he only ran three hours and 23 seconds when he was 70. And I said, I can beat that. I have no chance at that at that age group record, but I could beat that age record. And so I trained for that for three years. And, uh, and four days after turning 70, I ran the Rotterdam Marathon and uh, and beat it. And it wasn't until then, because I beat it by about four minutes, and then I looked and said, well, now I'm only two minutes away from his age group record. So uh, that was the first time I realized that maybe I had a chance at, at records like that. Wow. So talking about this, uh, you know, age 70, uh, you, you, we talked a good 15 years, uh, but, uh, but where does it come from? You know, you... You know, age seventy. A lot of us thinking about retiring and doing basically nothing, maybe. But for you now, here you're training, training hard. You have a coach. Uh, where is that motivation, inspiration, came from, or is just that competitive nature you had that you mentioned that earlier that uh, you, you nobody gave you a chance to be a runner in a sense that now you want to break those records. Where 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 does that motivation comes from? Well, you know, most people think, oh, he wants to be the world record holder. That's what motivates him. And, um, you know, that would be okay, but that really isn't. You know, primarily I run because I'm I'm having so much fun doing it, but I'm a competitive person. So, but mainly I compete against that guy in the mirror. I always want to beat whatever I did the year before. And, you know, setting some sort of goal and achieving it was, is all the motivation I need. Amazingly enough, I got to find out whether or not that was just hot air or not, because uh, when I did beat Ed's age group record last year at Jacksonville, um, it turned out because the race wasn't sanctioned that it won't count as the world record. But And I got to see how I felt about that. And I was totally cool with it because that was my goal, was to beat the record, not to be the record holder. And... Uh, well, a little bit. Uh, I hope to go out and, <laughs> and get the record this year. But, but really, uh, I was quite satisfied just with uh, w- with reaching my goal of uh, of beating that record. How many marathons do you do in a year? 
Well, Chris, you got to count ultras um, as in the Marathon County, I think. I do uh, 10 to 20 a year. 10 to 20. That's a quite a bit yeah. number. Do you try to go out in a full speed every race or, or you do like, you know, in a sense, like an ultra has a, its own speed, correct? Uh, yeah. So even there, right. do you try to try to go as fast as you can, or are you are you picking and choosing races? Well, as we discussed, in an ultra, there's just there's just no difference between going all out and finishing. It's just uh, at least at my age, that's that's true. Um, but for a marathon, yeah, you can't try and set a world record every time you go out there. Um, I managed to run. You know, three marathons last year under three hours, though. So it's certainly possible to run more than one or even two. This year, I expect to run, I don't know, about four marathons real hard. Uh, in addition to all the, the ultras I'll be doing. I'll be doing way more ultras than marathons this year. Hmm. So in, in this sense, uh, for you, whenever you do those two, three, four marathon, a hard marathon a year, you know, we a lot of time people talk about, recovering, you know, recovering from a marathon. You do 20 marathons and ultra, you know, 12 to 20 a year. How does that recovery work for you? Because, uh, you know, we a lot of time I hear, you know, older you get, harder to recover. I mean, I don't believe that, but... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I don't know. Us. I mean, I kind of think that uh, the ability to recover quickly is my superpower. Um other people say it proves that I'm from another planet, but uh, no. For instance, last year uh, I know I ran that Rotterdam Marathon where I broke three for the first time, and uh, just the following weekend I set the age group course record at Boston. So that was you know hmm. one one weekend after the other. I've frequently done you know marathons on on short recovery. I've even done uh, a bunch of saturday sunday marathons and run the sunday marathon faster than the one on saturday a lot of people say oh, how can you do that i say well you know have you tried and they say no <laughs> but yeah, of course you they think you can't do it if you haven't tried uh, and you can teach yourself to uh, to recover quickly uh, the most fun way to teach yourself to run really well with little recovery is to do a stage race uh, like Trans Rockies or uh, Desert Rats or, or, or something where you run day after day after day, maybe not ultra distance each day. But a lot of people say, I couldn't possibly do 140 miles in, in a week. But uh, when you do a stage race, you even find yourself getting stronger toward the end. It's uh, People can run a lot farther than they think they can. Yeah, def- we used to have a stage race here in Birmingham area, and I used to love stage race. uh you know, third day is uh, with three days, three days stage race, and my third day used to be always the best uh, because there's no pressure in even running, and then mm-hmm. <laughs> it's it's a the trick there is to recover how to recover from the day one to day two to day three. So, so that's a that's interesting though to get to that that point. Um, so so talking about recovering um, uh, and running. Uh, we we haven't kind of dive into um, your training, um, so so at your A's, uh, we you talked about your coach and how what kind of training do you do you put in to go that fast? Uh, since like you say last three years, what what type of training um, do you do you do? Well, the simple answer is I do whatever my coach tells me to do. I mean, it certainly takes the the onus off me to figure this out. And that's important because 
maybe some people can force themselves to run as hard as they can, but I am absolutely positive. Even after five years of knowing what he would assign me, I couldn't make myself do that except for the fact that he's told me to do it. Before I hired a coach, I probably was a victim of doing a lot of long, slow miles and taking considerable rest after hard workouts. I mean, I thought, well, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm in my late 50s, early 60s. I'm getting old, and hmm. the last thing I want to do is run on sore muscles. But, boy, I, I certainly found out when I got a coach that there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, it, maybe it's essential for getting somewhere is to run day after day hard because I would just kind of drag myself out of bed and I'd hobble down the stairs and I'd look at today's workout and I would just gape and say, he wants me to do what today? <laughs> no way. But, you know, I have to do it. He told me to do it and I'm, by golly, I'd rather die than uh, have to write back to my coach that I couldn't or wouldn't do his workout. Uh, so discipline is uh, what what it sounds like uh, what you have built along the along the way of your training. So, yeah, there's the accountability and uh, and and the good workouts. I mean, he's got the mix of workouts that you know in every you know recovery runs and aerobic runs, which are about a minute per mile faster than recovery runs, and then speed work, you know, tempos and and he totally mixes it up. I mean, it's not like I get up and say, oh, it's Monday, I'm going to do this. Tuesday, I'm going to do that. I have to go down every day and and read the instructions because uh, he really mixes it up. It's uh, always different, always fun. Definitely. So talk about that. So do you have also a new training plan, uh, cross trainings and those things you do or just running? Well, that's where I'm uh, really kind of a an outlier. Um, I don't do anything I, I, but, but run. I mean, that's the title of a book I'm never going to get around to writing called Just Run. I mean, I don't, I don't cry train i don't do core i don't do strengthening no flexibility i mean nothing like that i mean i just run <laughs> same here yeah i feel guilty about that i just run too so so that you're not the only one so just <laughs> all right <laughs> a lot of time people say hey you just run and start running already i say yeah i don't have time i show up a race five minutes before the race i don't give myself time to even think so so line up and go well, so, a lot of people are also looking for a silver bullet, you know. Oh, if only I can find the right cross-training, or only I can do this, or only I can do that, I'll become a great runner, you know. And no, you have to you have to work hard at running. That's how you become a great runner. <laughs> work hard. And we can see from your result, working hard and being disciplined and being dedicated as a runner has, uh, I mean, that, that has a lot to do with what you are doing now. Um, so as we move forward in, in this interview, one of the things I wanted to ask you is what is the limit for you? How far, how many years do you think you have in you? It's hard to tell, but uh, is your body giving any sign? I mean, you know, like I said, you're young, 71, so so you've, I felt like you mm. still have many, many years to go. Well, I sure hope so. Every, I mean, every year for the last three or four years, I said, well, I can't possibly get any faster next year, can I? And, and I still am. Uh, jury's still out for this year, but I'm hopeful. Uh, some people, I mean, Ed Whitlock kept smashing world records for 20 years. I'm hoping uh, I can be like Ed. So w what is the what is the world record for you, for, for your age group now? For the marathon? Yeah, for the marathon. Well, officially, it's Ed's 254.48. Okay. Unofficially, it's my 254.23. So, uh, okay. I mean, my course was on a record-eligible 
certified course, so nobody doubts that that I beat him. It's just that to ratify a a world record, you have the race has to submit certain paperwork beforehand, and oh. my race director didn't, so it's not okay. eligible. Yeah, got it. Okay, so that's how the sanction works. So you you're still trying to find that perfect race, or or trying to trying to just line up a race. Hopefully, that will be a, your world record. The way you're <laughs> training now. <laughs> Yeah, well, sometimes I think it's harder to find a suitable race than it is to, than it is to do the race. Uh, you know, there are lots and lots and lots of marathons. Most of them are certified. You know, maybe half the courses are record eligible, which means you know it, it's got to be out and back or a loop or or something because point to point courses aren't uh, generally record eligible. And then so that knocks out maybe half the marathons but then the race has to be sanctioned that knocks out another huge percentage of them and then you're pretty much only left with big races and now you have a further roadblock that the world bodies only recognize gun time well that means you've got to get buy-in from the race director Uh, for instance i thought maybe i could try for the world record at houston last year i couldn't get a hold of the race director and if i had maybe he would have said huh you know, I'm not going to put you at the start line. I got people out there competing for, you know, big money and, and this and that. So it's uh, really kind of unfair, some of the hoops you have to go through to to set a world record. Uh, I mean, there's just no reason I can think of that chip time isn't acceptable. Definitely. Maybe maybe we can find you some race here in South. So Birmingham, we have a Mercedes. It's a loop course. And the Louisiana Marathon, I did that. That was my fastest time this year. <laughs> Losing it from marathon. That's pretty pretty good course. I'm not sure whether it's eligible for, for world record or not. I think so. Uh, I was looking at that. The Louisiana Marathon was the same weekend as uh, Houston, and yep. uh, it was certified, sanctioned. It's a know. good time of the year. The weather is about yeah yeah it's not cold for you but it's extremely cold for us like 20 degrees. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe maybe you want to look into that one. Maybe we can. Yeah, I can maybe. Hook, I can hook you up with a race director there. Um, so, so that's a that's a pretty fast course. I'm going to train to go fast for that race for sure next year. So, mm-hmm. well, it's possible. I'm going to give it a try earlier in October, and if I come up short there, and because maybe like bad weather or something, yeah. I mean, I might consider Louisiana as a fallback. That's the one in Baton Rouge, right? Baton Rouge, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a it's a beautiful course. Uh, pretty fast. I've done it two years in a row now. I think I'll be back there next year. Uh, I'm planning on it. so, And it's a pretty decent size, you know, so you can line up at the front. You will be fine. So <laughs> we'll have to find you a board record course, and they will love to have you there. So definitely uh, talk about uh, the speed that you run. Uh, I have to bring the ace back, you know. Uh, you know, as I get older, I feel like I'm breaking apart sometimes, <laughs> even not running fast. Do you worry about injuries or anything like that, or or you just take the day as you go? Well, I, of course, I always worry about uh, getting injured, and certainly, I, maybe I've had fewer than most. But yeah, I've been out with ITB or uh, Achilles. Achilles. It's always been a nasty one for me. It's knocked me out a few times, hamstrings. Uh, but uh, a lot of those injuries went away when I stopped stretching. <laughs> so, uh, but uh, no, I've been injury, pretty much injury-free for many years now, and uh, that's, that's a blessing. Definitely. Uh, another book I've been thinking about writing is called Injuries Are Weird. And I've had a lot of really strange things. I mean, in the last year or two, I've had a lot of injuries that only hurt when I'm just sitting around the house or walking. But when I run, I don't feel anything. It's weird. 
Yeah, it's weird. Yeah, sometimes I uh, I line up at the race with uh, some sort of pain, and at the end of the race, it's all gone. Sometimes it's just mental. I feel like those <laughs> those things are definitely. Uh, let's uh, let's talk about uh, your Boston experience. Uh, yeah, what kind of what kind of race did you did you do at the, at the Boston? Did you break any records there, or how how was Boston for you this year? Well, this is the first time I've done Boston kind of as my A race. Like last year, I did it one week after Rotterdam, as I discussed, and uh, the year before that, I ran a hundred k race the uh, weekend before. But this year, I decided, well, let's give. Boston, a you know a good shake, and let's see if I can break three hours at that course. So breaking three hours was uh, one of my goals. The other goal was to uh, break the course record for the age group, which I already held, but it was something like 316, and uh, I knew I could clobber that. And the other goal was to win my age group for the fourth year in a row. Um, and uh, I got all those things done, so uh, definitely was a, a, a good race. The only downside is that... Uh, Boy, am I was I sore all week. I've never been this sore after a marathon in uh, you know ten or ten years or so. But so, Boston can do that to you. Yeah, Boston is kind of that downhill effect. Uh, if you're not careful, you know, <laughs> it's, yeah. uh, it's uh, especially the start. I feel like you can roll pretty fast there. But going back to Boston, you know, Boston is like I said, it's downhill. But the weather, is, it's a tough course. Um, so, so breaking three hours at Boston, how difficult was it for you? I mean, I had to run hard. I don't know if I could have run that hard just to satisfy myself, but everybody seemed to assume that I was going to break three hours there. <laughs> so uh, there was that pressure. I mean, I can just hear everybody saying, ah, he's washed up. He didn't break three hours at Boston. And I didn't think it was that hard at the time. Um, you know, the great thing about being really in shape is that when you run as hard as you can, you're doing what you're trained for, and it just isn't that too much of a stress on your body. And uh, you know, some people might say, "Well, if it was easy, you should have run harder." But no, you just you just can't run any harder. It's just easier to run as hard as you can when you're when you're well trained. And I finished Boston thinking, "Well, that wasn't so hard," but boy, I was really sore afterwards. So I I must have run harder. Uh, I do have a theory about that uh, whenever you want to talk about race day nutrition definitely let's talk about the nutrition so so for your for your age group you know for me it's able one for nutrition i just eat uh, you know like uh, i've never eaten before all the time whether i'm training or not training i never able to keep my weight uh, but but talk about your nutrition you know as you as you age you know the you know your food intake and you know they all have to be different mm -hmm. you know you know, so tell us about uh, how how do you manage that? Well, there's lots of things I can say about that. First of all, I have uh, I have a seafood diet, which of course makes it really tough to lose weight because you know when you see food, you want to eat it. And uh, but uh, it's important to get that weight down because uh, you know it's two seconds per pound per mile, so it's almost a minute for every pound you can lose. So. Normally, I'm not too concerned, but if I'm trying to set a world record, you know, you have to be concerned about it. I mean, if you can lose four pounds, that's four minutes. Mm. I mean, there's no doubt that uh, that's huge. The other thing about dieting that I think is important about a diet anyway is that I run in the morning and I never eat before or during a training run. Um, I mean, I really feel that that's enabled my body to learn how to store more glycogen and burn fat more efficiently. 
so that on race day, if I can take in more calories during the race, that's that's a bonus and allows me to, to run harder. Now, uh, until this year, the best I could do was 300 calories during a marathon, and you know, which is barely barely a supplement at all. You know, theoretically, that gains you three miles of non-bunking uh, calories. But even if I limited myself to those 300 calories, I would feel queasy afterwards. It was just it just wasn't any way I could get in more calories. But, and for all you folks who might have the same problem, Martin is the answer to your prayers. You know, M-A-U-R-T-E-N. Most of you have probably heard of it. It's a, a Danish product. And it is just incredible stuff. At Boston, I consumed 960 calories during the race and with absolutely zero GI distress. Hmm. Um, so with all those extra calories, I was able to, I think, force my muscles to run harder than they would. Normally, they'd be kind of getting tired at the end, you know, kind of a pre-bonking thing. And uh, But this time, I was able to, to push through that. And I think that's why I was so sore. Because I've run Boston before and wasn't that sore. <laughs> but uh, tell, tell them about nutrition. Uh, let's go back to a little bit of an ultra-distance race, too. So, so some of my ultra-listening, ultra-friends, they're listening. Uh, so tell us about uh, when you do this uh, distance, uh, you know, 100, 100 mile, 200 mile, what kind of nutrition plan do you have for those? Oh, just, you know, eat whatever's at the aid station. You okay. know, just, uh, well, two things, you know, y- you can't do that during a marathon, but Anything 50 miles and beyond, uh, the pace you're going you know, hardly qualifies as running. And some people l- look at the times you're running in 100 miles and say, well, I could do that. <laughs> but it's it's way harder than you think. And uh, But it is slow enough that you can digest food on the run. And uh, so I don't care what I eat uh, during an ultra. I do get a lot of calories from Coke. Um, I'll mix it 50-50 with, with water and put that in my canteens and plus that reminds me because it's more fun to drink than plain water i'll keep uh, better hydrated that way too so coke and anything i see at the aid stations uh, that's my ultra strategy definitely yeah I mean, this time when i ran last hundred i tried all kind of food still didn't work for me but uh, that's a that's another podcast i'm doing <laughs> well i used to have trouble with nausea and um uh, mm. and i i you know i searched around for that Silver bullet, you know, you know, ginger chews, the right electrolytes, and blah blah blah. Pretty much came down to the fact that you get nauseated during an ultra because you're not trained for it. You're you're pushing your body past what it's able to do, and and uh, once you're stronger or run within your means, you won't you won't get nausea. So my guess is you're trying to run faster than you think you're capable of. So that's an interesting point. Yeah, I do. Last 300 mile or I have done all, all GI issue, nauseating, you know, vomiting and all kind of things. But but I think it's it has to do with, I'm trying to find out what, what is the reason I still haven't. I guess, like you said, maybe, maybe I'm pushing further and faster than I should, should have done. Or... Well, there is something to help get you over the hump, though. Um, chemistry is your friend. Um, get a doctor to prescribe you on Dasterone. Uh, Zofran's the the name it i used it for a year or two and it sort of quells nausea and uh, then enabled me to run ultras stronger until i was strong enough that i didn't need it anymore i don't i don't take it anymore because uh, i just don't get sick like i used to hmm. but uh, yeah it's good for getting over the hump 
Yeah, definitely. I need to get over the hump. So, so going back to the marathon and and your uh, nutrition plan, uh, uh, do you do anything special uh, for for like a like pre race uh, pre race dinner and anything like that for you to you know you you have to stay light, I guess, uh, so that way on the race day you don't show up bloated. Well, I eat normally right up until the night before, and then I just make sure I eat. You know, not not too much of whatever I think is easily digested. Then maybe uh, three hours before the race, I'll have uh, an energy bar, and uh, because you know the kind of thing that will also be you know easily digested. And uh, then I rely on uh, that liquid nutrition during during the race. During the race. So uh, yeah, pretty much normal, no carbo loading or or anything like that. Uh, I cut down my wine intake from two glasses to one. Uh, <laughs> It's wine and beer after the race, I guess. Yeah, I don't drink beer, but yeah, uh, okay. So definitely, uh, it sounds like it sounds like a, our diet kind of matches. I'm just normal, try to eat as normal as possible. I used to do a lot of carbo loading, you know, that whole concept of carbo loading at the beginning of my stay running. But these days, I just eat whatever I normally eat. It's maybe sometimes I make just pasta just because, but I don't try to do you know overload myself. Marathon for you and even for me, the you know, running hundred mile or ultra distance race, uh, you know, three and a half hours to five hours or three hours to five hours and five and a half. This is not that long, so, so you know, it's not. <laughs> you still can't come home for lunch. So, so Gene, we talked about uh, the diet uh, how the night before, and what about the, the hydration plan? Do you try to hydrate yourself before the marathon? You know, a lot of time we overhydrate ourselves. Or underhydrate uh, sometime. What, what's your take on that? Uh, you know, I'm always dehydrated, so I just don't much worry about it. Um, I, you know, I never drink as much water anywhere close to as much water as everybody says you're supposed to drink every day. So uh, yeah, I'm always slightly dehydrated, and, and uh, as I just said, I make sure that I'm a little bit dehydrated before the marathon starts because uh, otherwise, by well, you know, you have to head for the bathroom, and if you're trying to set a record. You know, 40 seconds is, is a lot of time. Yeah, definitely. One of the things I've heard, uh, a friend of mine who was trying to set a record, uh, trying to trying to run a race, um, uh, so many races so she can qualify for uh, Badwater. And one of the first time I heard her mentioning, uh, said, drink when you are thirsty. But I have heard a lot of time, when you, once you are thirsty, it's too late. You're dehydrated. What is what is your thought on that one? Because you're trying to break a world record, at the same time you don't have a time to drink a lot of water at the beginning. You know you're 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 under under hydrated, dehydrated, and then don't have a lot of time to stop on the aid station or or water stop. So mm. you have to have this fine balance, correct? Yeah, I mean obviously you can go way too far in the other direction. I guess I've never had trouble with being too dehydrated um i guess i just you know just try and drink enough um in an ultra yeah sometimes you have to make sure to force yourself to drink you never want to get to a state where you're you know out of balance because uh, an ultra has a tendency to magnify any mistakes you might make there but in a marathon it's only you know three hours and uh i use liquid nutrition so i'm getting liquid there and i just you know grab another cup now and then when i feel like it but uh, no, no real plan. <laughs> Definitely, yeah. Sounds that's almost what I do. Try to not to overhydrate or 
you know dehydrate myself especially in the races you know then then i'll drink water further down the down the miles especially when i'm pacing make sure everybody hydrate on the course but you know if you have to go to the bathroom and <laughs> even even when i'm pacing uh at some time i may not make it back to you know to my pace group so so definitely so talking about that uh, you doing all this thing uh trying to break world record course record you know and i'm pretty much sure with your sub three um marathon time now every time you show up uh, in any race you pr- probably break the course record or the race record uh, so tell me about how we i asked you this question earlier about inspire how, you know how how do you get uh, you know what is the motivation how do you inspire yourself to be out there train you know as you as you get older you know the age and you know in your age group and try to be the best you want to be you know have have that record world record what how do you get inspired you mentioned about you know breaking the record there must be beyond that well first off you know it has to be fun i mean i don't care how much you want something if it's not fun uh, you're not going to do it and i'm i'm always uh, enjoy enjoy training in fact the harder the workout uh, the more i enjoy it it's the recovery runs i hate you know just going out there and feeling tired and running slowly uh, you know can't wait for those to be over you know my second motivation is i don't want to let down my coach you know it's 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 sort of like i run harder for for him than i than i do for me and uh, so finding you know somebody that that we know you want to impress uh, that's a big factor and then the third thing would be setting goals and and handling them i mean i don't think anybody could be you know a truly great runner unless they they had goals and and my goals aren't to hold records but to beat the time that i ran the year before i mean i mean that will be my goal until i start getting slower (laughs) uh but as long as i'm still getting faster yeah i mean i'm getting faster because i don't want to uh to get slower and uh so beating myself in the previous year that that's important to me and it motivates me definitely sounds like a great motivational inspiration points that you have there so as you move forward on your journey to try to break this records uh what is your limit there how how far you want to go how high is the sky for you or or you going to you going to just continue to discover as you go yeah it's kind of a moving target i mean really until 1 year ago when i uh ran the Rotterdam Marathon, I had no idea whatsoever that, uh, you know, world age group records were, were in my grasp. Uh, so it's been kind of a, you know, kind of a gradual thing. Uh, you know, it took me a while to realize I could, that if I kept improving, I would get to a certain level. And it took a while to realize that, hey, I can improve more and do things going forward. Well, there's a whole bunch more single year age records to set. In fact, to show you how fast your perspective can change. For three years, I wanted to beat the single age 70 record. Hmm. And it wasn't until yesterday that I remembered that with my 258 at Boston, I set the single age record for, for 71. <laughs> it wasn't even, <laughs> wasn't even on my radar. It kind of, kind of left that record behind. Uh, so, well, I don't know, of course, it, it's sort of an unofficial record, the, the group that maintains those it has stopped maintaining them because the the guy died who was doing it and nobody else seems to have picked it up so kind of unofficial and i don't know whether they would count boston or not being a point-to-point course so so i may or may not hold the 
71 single year record. But uh, as far as goals go, I consider myself having it, and that's all that counts. That sounds a great point, uh, Gene, because uh, you know, as you as we get older, sometimes we lose track, and and we're trying to think, okay, when are we going to retire? That's the question I get asked. I'm I'm reaching only 50, <laughs> comparing from you, and people are like, uh, how, when is when are you going to retire? I said, I've, I've barely started, and I'm not retiring anytime soon. People yeah, don't. when it stops being fun. <laughs> I've got one thing that will keep me going uh, as long as possible. It's certainly totally unofficial because nobody keeps track of this. But it's my own special thing called the oldest known finisher. I guess it would be an OKF. Um, and there are about seven or eight races now where nobody older than than I has finished the race. And as I get older, it'll be easier and easier because more and more of my competition will be six feet under. But, uh, you know, that'll keep me going. I may not be able to do them as fast as I could, but as long as I'm the oldest one that's ever done it, uh, yeah, I'll enter a race and, and and do that. But again, that's just something for my own my own benefit. Uh, <laughs> that isn't That record list is not maintained anywhere. Yeah, uh, Fuja Singh, uh, I don't know if you keep up with him, he's... He's the oldest, I think, finisher in many races. Uh, he's more than 100 now. He started age 80, so so that's uh, that's that's something uh, he he does. I think he does a Toronto marathon, or he I met him over there when I ran Toronto back a long time mm-hmm. ago. But definitely, you know, you, something you just mentioned, you know, the people on your age group. You know, older you get, you know, <laughs> hard to find people in the age group. Either they're totally retired, or, or they're just no longer here in the earth. So, so definitely, you're you're doing a great job, not only running and trying to break the world record, but inspiring people like us to not to give up the hope of running. You know, there's still, you know, something beyond, you know, beyond the age that we look at it. You know, like I just mentioned that, you know. Being a fifty, people think that I should retire now, but but looking at you, is it? Hmm, I'm not done yet. Yeah, I think uh, uh, the most famous of those oldest known finishers would be Western States. Uh, some guy just finished at age seventy-three. Uh, geez, he even did it in twenty-eight hours or something. It wasn't even close to the thirty-hour cutoff. So uh, there's that one to look forward to. Of course, the trouble with Western States is you don't have a whole lot of control over when you. It to run it, so uh, I'll just have to hope I'm I make it through the lottery in a year where uh, I, I can I can uh, break the record. <laughs> Definitely, Gene. It has been a great talk to you. Thanks for your coming to Emron's podcast. Uh, you know, as a runner, uh, ultra distance runner, road runner, both of us, uh, we can stay here and talk forever. But uh, but before we close this interview. I just wanted you to give a word of advice or, or a word, word of advice to all the l- listeners, the runners, uh, to not to give up the hope of running, like I mentioned that minute ago. Don't keep A's as a boundary. You learn to go faster or, or further, whatever, however it takes. Just kind of take your running places that you have not been, uh, you know, as you get older. You know, that's what you have done, and you're, you're, you're doing an excellent job and chasing the course record chasing the world record you know you know being competitive in the age of uh, young age of 71 and uh, give us give us a word of advice well i can think of a few things we've most of which we've touched on a little bit but 
to reiterate, you know, one thing I've tried to do every year, year is run a little further, faster, or more frequently. Now, a lot of runners try and run a little faster each year, but not too many seem to be interested in running further each year or more frequently. And, well, uh, a lot of this you know, might require you to retire first, but <laughs> in order to have the time to run more frequently. But, man, I've hardly ever seen an inner button I didn't want to hit. And uh, so I run you know, up to 40 races a year. But there's no reason why uh, you can't substitute running races for training. It's it's a heck of a lot more fun. And running further, getting out on the trails and doing something out in the uh, on a beautiful scenery, it's, uh, you know, try and do something further there. It's, it's, it's really rewarding. And for those of those who just have to get the absolute most out of themselves, well, there's nothing more than better than hiring a coach. I mean, maybe some people can do without a coach, but uh, it, it's made a world of difference uh, in my running. Another thing we've talked about is are all these things that people try and do in addition to running. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't do them. Uh, if you see a benefit, for sure do them. But a lot of people do things like stretching, cross training, uh, core strengthening, weights, special diet, electrolyte. They do this because they get they have the impression that they're supposed to, but you only should if it, you actually perceive a benefit. Uh, I think I'm I'm proof that you don't have to do any of these things. I don't do any of these things. I'm I'm by all accounts a pretty good runner. And for those of you who think you've exceeded your 15 years of of uh, good running, well, consider dialing back now. Maybe uh, save some of that intensity for later. You don't have to worry about it not being fun later because. Uh, huh. That's another thing I've shown. You can have a lot of fun <laughs> at an older age, and you'll have a lot more fun if you've allowed your body to, to recover instead of just persisting until you just can't run anymore. And one fun thing that you can do, if you're, uh, even if you're not retired and if your family's either cool with it or can go with you on it, but plan a running vacation. There are uh, you know, stage races and supported adventure runs, uh, destination marathons uh, you know pick some place you've always wanted to go or uh, look up one of these races and look not only is it fun doing it but you'll have fun looking forward to doing it for for a whole year uh, my family and I uh, we still finally remember our some of our running vacations we did together in Patagonia and Lake Tahoe uh, yeah, wonderful times and uh, turning it into a whole vacation uh, just makes it a a, light, a lifetime experience so there's a few things for you. Those sounds great, uh, especially the point uh, where you're talking about uh, taking a little break out of running and saving for later. I'm seriously considering that point for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so. maybe uh, if I start going downhill, I'll take 20 years off and make a comeback when I'm 100. <laughs> <laughs> definitely. Stuff so three and 100, that'll be, a, that'll be a story to tell. So definitely, thanks for your time. Uh, it is a pleasure to talk to you. Good luck uh, with your Big Sur uh, out there. Uh, enjoy your time, and we'll catch up uh, with you later. Okay, great. Enjoyed talking with you. Thank you. I am. Thanks for listening to another episode of Emrun's Podcast. Please visit emruns.com to listen to our previous podcast episodes, links to our social media channels, get race photos, get discount codes, and more.